everybody, Jim Williams, welcoming you to this edition of the Politically Incorrect Podcast. Our guest is none other than Patricia Murphy. Patricia is a fantastic writer, and uh, she's written a couple things this week very interesting. The first one that we're going to talk about is a Daily Beast article uh, having to do with uh, how the Democratic Party might be getting back on track in a race, in of all places, in Georgia. And uh, Patricia, why don't you tell us about that particular story, your Daily Beast column this week? Oh, sure, of course. So um, there is a special election coming up in Georgia in a congressional district, and the district happens to belong to Tom Price, who mm-hmm. was uh, selected, obviously, by President Trump to be the new Secretary of Health and Human Services. So when he left the Congress, the special election was set for Georgia. The seat where Dr. Price is coming from um, has long been a Republican district since even before the days Republicans uh, now dominate the state, even when Democrats were running the state. This particular district um, was Republican, and it was Newt Gingrich's seat. It was Johnny Isaacson's seat and now Tom Price's. Um, But as the race has developed, uh, there is a Democrat in the race who's getting a lot of national attention named John Ossoff, and that's who I wrote this article about. Tell us a little bit about um, John Ossoff. uh, Why is he special and why is it possible that he might be the guy who comes away with his seat? Well, so this race has an unbelievably crowded field. There are mm-hmm. 15, sometimes 15. 16. It depends on how, who's dropping out of the race at, on, at any one point. But there are at least 15 candidates in this race, 11 Republicans, four Democrats. John Ossoff uh, came to our attention because he has raised an unbelievably gigantic amount of money in five weeks. He's raised almost $2 million in five weeks. And for a what is considered a safe Republican seat, for a Democrat to raise $2 million under any circumstances, let alone in such a short period of time, um, is why he has just popped out of this field as somebody to really pay attention to. Um, he raised that money so quickly, thanks in large part to the Daily Coast, which, as your listeners I'm sure know, is the liberal um, uh, kind of community. It's a website, of course, but it's really a large progressive community all across the country. Um, the political director at Daily Coast I spoke with about for my article about John Ossoff, mm-hmm. um, and he said that uh, Ossoff became interesting to them uh, for two reasons. One is that he was endorsed by John Lewis, the congressman from Atlanta. Um, sure. Ossoff had been an intern in Lewis's office, and so the congressman endorsed him very quickly for the race. And then um, the Daily Coast uh, group also said that this is a race they had been watching um, for about two years anyway, no matter what happened uh, to Tom Price. The district is, itself is changing, and so this was a district that uh, they were keeping a very close eye on. Um, so between the district and the endorsement, they put the word out to their community, um, and uh, they raised almost a million dollars. Uh, for Ossoff. And so that's where his money has come from and why he's getting a lot of national attention. That's phenomenal. And, you know, there has been for a long time uh, the thought that, you know, Georgia is moving closer to a purple state from a, from a red state. And, 
Not that necessarily a win by Osloff would uh, would show that that's on its way, but you know it certainly wouldn't hurt um, the Dems to actually have a win, especially one in a place that uh, is so so kind of an, such an outlier in this particular situation, as you said. Yeah, I I agree with that. Um, Georgia is still. I don't. I am. A, I'm originally from Georgia. It doesn't feel mm-hmm. purple to me. <laughs> you know, it is still. No, I'm. I'm every I'm, statewide yeah. elected official is um, is Republican. The both chambers are Republican. Most people are Republican. It's just a conservative state. Um, but mm-hmm. in the district where Ossoff is running, uh, mm-hmm. Donald Trump only won by one point, and that is what has gotten people's attention. Um, and when you said it's a, a district that's kind of changing, that's when the Daily Cost really said, okay, now something really is happening. Um, Mitt Romney uh, won by 25 points in this district, and Donald Trump won by one. And so um, this would be a leading indicator if Ossoff could pull off what which it would be an upset for him to win this. Uh, it would be an upset for the Republicans. Um, if he could win this, it would certainly put Georgia Republicans on notice that that these suburbs are changing and changing quickly. It's one of those suburban districts. Mm-hmm. Um, and it would also put national Republicans on notice that um, the energy that has been popping up at these town halls and marches and mm-hmm. protests, uh, that it can translate into a very different scenario on Election Day. Um, and so those, that's, the, that's why this race in particular is so important to um, you know, not, not just local polls, you know, it's, it's of great importance to national Republicans and national Democrats alike. And would prove perhaps that resistance is not necessarily futile. Well, I think that's right. And I went knocking door to door with John Ossoff just to see how this was all supposed to work. And um, so were you actually he, thinking of running in the uh, in the in the race no. or are you just knocking on doors? <laughs> no. Oh my God! No, no but I, I do love a good door knocking Saturday. Okay, there you go. The I, most who doesn't like that, right? Who, yep. I didn't know that people, you know, they talk about shoe leather politics. That's yep. with the advent of Facebook, it doesn't really exist anymore. But this guy was knocking door to door, and he also had a, a volunteer day, and uh, 200 people showed up to volunteer and knock on doors, which is a huge turnout wow. in that part of the district mm-hmm. or that part of the state. For a Democrat, I mean, Republicans do it all the time. Um, they had a gigantic turnout, and I talked to the volunteers who had come out just mm-hmm. to see how did they hear about him, what do they like mm-hmm. about him, and to a person, they were devastated with the election results, and this mm-hmm. was almost all about Donald Trump. You know, if, I guess if, if it's a three-act play, the first mm-hmm. act was Donald Trump won, and these people were very upset. The second act is, oh, there's this person named John Alsaf who is young. He went to Georgetown and the London School of Economics. He is a former Capitol Hill staffer. He's a very um, kind of serious person to meet. He's uh, very uh, down to earth is not the right thing. He's just, he's a very serious person. He seems very studious and he's a serious candidate. Um, So that's the second act. The doors open. He's standing at the door. And then is this district going to let him in is the question. But the resistance is what is absolutely driving this energy for for John Ossoff. Do you think the resistance has has legs? You know, it's so early to say. uh, Mm -hmm. And the only way we're going to get the answer is through these 
early special elections. Uh, mm-hmm. There's this, there's a special election in Georgia. There will be one in Montana. There will be one in South Carolina, all for the for the people who have come out of uh, Congress to serve in the administration. Um, and then 2018, that's when we will really know. Um, the test will be: Can you have uh, you know all of this energy, and can you can Democrats focus it and channel it into electoral? Um, results and the people who I spoke with uh, as those volunteers said I they had never they had never voted in midterm elections they had certainly never voted in a special election they had never volunteered for anybody but they felt like this was one thing they could do um, to participate in you know kind of quote the resistance and so we'll find out if it has legs and these will be this is an early test to see um, it may be it's a high bar, you know. If, can right. the resistance swing a swing district? Maybe can it swing a, a, a demonstrably red state? I mean, red district to be blue. You know, that would really be something. And mm-hmm. so that's why Democrats are pouring so much money into this race. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's funny. Um, I spoke to um, Congressman Gus Bilarakis from Florida's 12th district um, mm-hmm. the other night, just prior to um, the joint session of Congress, and um, he had been through, uh, he had had three town hall meetings and some of them pretty raucous. Um, and uh, he listened to everybody and I asked him about this and he said, you know what? He said, you know, not paying attention to your voters is a very good way of not getting reelected. Um, and uh, he said, that, you know, some of his um, concepts, and he had, you know, like m- many other Republicans, he'd ran, you know, on repealing Obamacare. But his concept of what he wanted to be in the new bill literally changed with all of the, you know, uh, pushback he got on in the town halls and feedback that he got in the town halls having to do with pre-existing conditions, being 26 and keeping your your kids on your on your um, insurance, um, the portability. I mean, a number of things that, frankly, um, I would say six, eight, ten months ago, you wouldn't have gotten um, many Republicans to be um, on board with. And now, uh, uh, Congressman Bill Rockus and others have uh, gone to these town meetings and have uh, heeded, you know, what uh, what they've been told. That's so interesting. I think um, I give him so much credit for holding a town hall and multiple town halls. Um, mm-hmm. And I think he's done that throughout his time. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. And it really is the definition of representative democracy. If you're there to represent your constituents and they are telling you something in no uncertain terms, <laughs> um, is it then something that you take back to Washington and represent in debates? Um, and to me, that is a very kind of direct cause and effect. Um, there's certainly, there's always reason or there's always a temptation for skepticism and say, well, these are paid protests. That's not real. Um, but you really hear that from people who are not holding town halls, not the people who are holding town halls. And if you look back to the 2009 cycle, 2009, 2010, um, Democrats were getting an enormous amount of feedback about the healthcare bill from their town hall meetings um, and did not that really was not reflected, I don't think, in the bill that they put together in every case. Um, and so 
they pa- they passed a bill, I think, felt a lot of pressure to do it very quickly because they were getting so much pushback. Um, but I think that without, because they didn't listen as much to the feedback from constituents, um, it's a bill that could have been improved a lot if they had listened more to those town halls. Um, and I went back and looked at, at that cycle and uh almost without exception, the Democrats at the time who refused to hold town halls um, ended up losing their races. And so, the, but the ones who held even like the really ugly, you know, contentious town halls, um, their constituents could at least say, well, at least he heard me, at least, uh, at least she listened. Um, and, you know, I think voters are sophisticated enough to know you're not always your, your representative may not always agree with you, but they do have responsibility to listen to you. And in Bilirakis's case, it's so interesting to me um, that he is then also going to take that back to D.C. and say, I need this bill to look like this because of what I've heard from my constituents. Um, so I give him full credit. I give all those members full credit because they knew that those were going to be pretty rough town halls. Um, but if you have that relationship with your constituents, um, that's what matters most. And um I think you'll be rewarded uh, at the end of the day. And uh, in Georgia, um, I think only one member of Congress held a town hall, um, and it didn't go very well for him, but at least everybody knew that he'd shown up and did it. Uh, everybody else was getting a lot of blowback for just not even not participating at all. Okay, I'm about to ask a loaded and stupid question, but it's been a crazy first uh, month, month and a half here. What has surprised you? Has there been anything that surprised you about what's going on at Congress? <laughs> Everything has surprised me, Tim. I um, kind of figured that was the answer, not, but I figured, you know, with I'll ask I anyway. Look at a trick question. Um, you know, I will say I was up, I was on, when I was on Capitol Hill um, earlier this week, and it was the day uh, of the the president's address to Congress. Mm-hmm. I I have been surprised at the um, at the level of um, early. I think the only word for it is disunity among Republicans um, on some really big concepts um, about how to address um, any number of issues. Um, the Obamacare repeal slash replace slash rebrands, repair, you know, there's, there are um, items that the Republicans have been talking about for a long, long time, really, almost throughout President Obama's entire two terms in office, that they have said that they wanted to change. Um, and I have been surprised uh, now that uh, we're, you know, uh, more than a month into the Trump administration, and obviously almost three months since he was elected, I've been surprised at how, how, how Republicans... Um, still have not coalesced or built a consensus around specific approaches to health care, immigration reform, trade, tax reform. Um, that And that means consensus with the White House, mm-hmm. uh, including President Trump and uh, House and Senate Republicans. Um, there also appears to be no consensus between House Republicans and Senate Republicans. The two chambers are disagreeing about a lot of these things. Um, and then even within those chambers, there are factions within the sure. House Republican Caucus and then the Senate Republican Caucus. So I have been, I had expected there to be more um, Unity? sort of taking orders from the White House. Yeah. And the 
White House has not been extending many specific orders, so there's just not a lot, of, there's not a line to fall in, I guess. So yeah. um, I anticipated that that full Republican control would, would lead to a number of bills being quickly passed, mm-hmm. um, uh, having these things like marched up like ducks in a row and just hopping into the lake and swimming away mm-hmm. to be implemented. Um, and that is, that is not happening. Um, and it doesn't seem like it's going to happen really soon. So that's been the biggest surprise. Mm-hmm. Um, that's been the biggest surprise so far. And Democrats at this point are sort of a non-issue. So we don't, I would say there are things that Democrats have done to surprise me, but we're all watching so carefully to see what Republicans do next that that's where my surprises have, have been focused. Are you surprised at all? There's one that surprises me, and that is, I'm a little surprised. I mean, I understand that they um, wanted to repeal and replace Obamacare, but to to literally take on health care as, you know, as the first thing you want to do getting out of the block, man, that 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 took the Democrats two years. I I, um, it, I don't know that's a hill you want to die on. Well, you know, I think it's a hill that many Republicans would be happy to die on, but they do not have their ammunition and their weapons. They don't have their clothes on. Some of them have not joined the army. You know, we're like, Haven't filed papers yet. Yes. Days here. I yeah. just wouldn't, they didn't want the hill to be the first thing they did once they put on their boots, you know? So right. I, that's what I've been, <laughs> I think just strategically, um, this has not gone well for them. Um, I know that this is what they care about the most. Um, and many of them would be happy to really take one for the team on it, but the team has not decided what game they're playing um, right. or what team they're playing. You know, so that's the, that's the disunity I'm talking about. When we, and because you mentioned healthcare, um, I wrote for Roll Call earlier this week about mm-hmm. President Trump's comment that nobody knew it could be so complicated right. to uh, do a healthcare bill. Um, and I covered Congress in 2009 when the Democrats were writing a healthcare bill. Right. And I mean, that process was laborious. It was incredibly intense. It was at times very ugly. Um, and so I talked to a number of staffers who had worked on that bill. I said, well, just how complicated was it? And they said, you know, they actually considered health the process beginning in 2006 not in 2009, but that is when Massachusetts passed its bill and implemented health care reform. So they said that was when there there had been a lot of policy that went into that, and then they had proof of concept in their opinion Mm -hmm. that was implemented in 2006. And then as early as 2008, a number of Democratic and Republican senators started sitting down, and they worked, as you said, for more than two years years to draft a bill. There was a group of six senators that met um, 29 times mm-hmm. for 60 hours on the Senate side to draft a bill. And then mm-hmm. it had to go through three House committees, two Senate committees. Um, uh, they It kind of fell apart uh, when Senator Kennedy died. Uh, they, then they had to go through reconciliation because they didn't have the 60 votes. So mm-hmm. Democrats had gigantic majorities, a ton of time, consensus on the problem, um, almost consensus on the solution, and it was still so hard to do, and it took so long. Um, so for Republicans to promise to have repeal and replace be the very first thing they did um, was, a, was a really big promise to make, and, and it's something that I, I would think they might want to rethink the wording on how they promised 
when they would do it instead of what they would do. Yes, and like we we joked earlier about uh, Senator, I'm I'm pretty sure sometime before they pass it, Senator Rand Paul will actually get to see it. <laughs> I know. Yeah, so for, if your listeners have not been uh, watching Twitter as closely as you and I have yeah. uh, today, um, so Senator Paul, uh, Senator Rand Paul, who is a doctor, yep. uh, has been looking for the Republican version of the health care bill. And the reason he started looking was not because anybody told him that a bill exists, it's because he read it in Politico in the newspaper, the Capitol newspaper. And he read about this bill, called, called over to the House Republicans and said, is there a bill? And um, nobody would tell him if there was a bill or not. Then he got wind that there might be a bill. He said, well, can I read the bill? Nobody will let him read the bill or see the bill. So he marched over with his staff and a bunch of reporters and a copy machine to go look for the bill. Um, and as of this minute, you know, at, at a press time, we have no bill for Senator Paul to read. And he's they're in the same party, and he's a doctor. He's a conservative. He's not going to blab about it. Um, but there, he's not. Oh, he can't find the bill. And you know, that's what I'm talking about. There's just not a lot of consensus and organization around this effort right now, which is which is not good for for process. That is so difficult. Anyway. Well, yeah. I mean, and especially when you're talking about true transparency. But to take it one final step. Um, it's one thing for the House and the Senate to have a bill, but you still have a president, and that president um, has his own idea of what health care should look like. So I'm not so certain. I'm not so certain that what comes out of the House is necessarily, or the Senate for that matter, is necessarily something that President Trump's going to sign off on, you know, right off the bat. We don't know that. And even after. President Trump said as much as he's ever said before about what he wants health care reform to look like right. um, on Tuesday night in his address and was talking about um, tax credits and health savings accounts. Mm-hmm. And so even Republicans who were interviewed the next day about exactly what Trump had said, mm-hmm. Republicans interpreted that differently for themselves and said, well, I thought he said this about it. No, I thought he said that about mm-hmm. it. At, at this point, what is very unusual is that the White House has given House and Republicans no guidance, zero guidance on mm-hmm. what they want this bill to look like. Um, and so they're only just guessing literally off of speeches and tweets about what he wants it to look like or what he would sign or what he wouldn't change midstream. There was a, a conversation, and this was reported, uh, he was talking to, um, to John Kasich on uh in his office uh, after after national that was a Washington yeah Washington Post story on on Friday yeah and so the the, the huge hugely contentious issue in Obamacare repeal is what happens with the Medicaid expansion right um, that has happened in thirty one states and what, a number of those are Republican governors there was a, a big it's a big price tag on Medicaid expansion both mm-hmm. for states and for the federal government so conservatives weren't wild about it. John Kasich is a Republican government, governor who did expand Medicaid mm-hmm. under Obamacare, and he told President Obama why he thought that was a good idea. Mm-hmm. President Obama rings up Tom Price on the phone. You mean, and excuse says, me just for a second. You mean, you mean President Trump? Oh, I'm sorry. Excuse me. Yes, President Trump. I didn't mean to say it. President Trump calls Tom Price, his new HHS director, on the phone and says, you know, I think we should probably think about doing it John's way. 
Um, and I'm sure Tom Price's head exploded because Medicaid <laughs> expansion is just what he does not want to right. do. And I'm sure Tom Price thought he was in charge of Obamacare repeal and Medicaid non-expansion. And um, yeah, that's just the way this process is going. It's just a lot of different inputs from different Republicans with different experiences. Um, and, you know, a twist to all this, which I'm sure you know, Obamacare repeal will take 50 votes, right. 50 votes. Obamacare replacement, some pieces of the repu- replacement will take 50 votes, but other very large pieces of the replacement will take 60 votes. And so they're going to need Democrats on that bill. They're going to need all the Republicans and a big handful of Democrats to get some of this stuff done. Right. Um, so the consensus is just very elusive. Right now, it will be di- more difficult once you try and get some Democrats on board um, for some pieces that are not budget-related. The budget-related stuff can all go through um, with 50 votes, but right. anything that's not budget-related is going to require 60 votes and Democrats to support it. So right. it's a very, very, as Donald Trump said, it's very complicated. That would be correct. <laughs> so, um, yes. so, yeah. Uh, but at the same time, it's also Obamacare itself faces a lot of challenges and a mm-hmm. number of insurers mm-hmm. getting out of the system. I think insurers are getting very jittery about you know, they're writing their contracts for 2018. Sure. Will there be a 2018 under this bill? So there's, you know, there's, the clock is ticking. It's not just an esoteric conversation about what to do about Obamacare. Right. Um, the insurance companies need an answer soon. So it's very important as well as uh, very complicated. Patricia Murphy. Patricia, what's coming up next for you? So coming up next me once we get past the nominations um Mm -hmm. we had ben carson was uh was confirmed today as hud secretary um once the senate gets rolls through all the nominations for the president Mm -hmm. um then they're going to start actually debating and voting on legislation Mm -hmm. uh, that is nobody knows what the legislation will be that they start with first Mm-hmm. Um, and it, I think it's just going to be fascinating to see what the agenda is in the Trump era, because so far it's been just nominations, getting his team in place. Um, that's uh, that's the, the medium term. Um, obviously, there's breaking news today about uh, kind of more controversy over um, uh, the administration's potential contacts uh, with, with Russian officials, um, mm-hmm. and maybe, uh, maybe Jeff Sessions having some conversations that he either didn't tell a Senate committee about or maybe mischaracterized to a Senate committee or just mm-hmm. misunderstood the question. It was just mm-hmm. a, a swirl of questions around Jeff Sessions right now. Um, so or had, I think those or had a mental block because he was talking to Al Franken. Yes, yeah, exactly. It was like, am I really talking to Al Franken right now? <laughs> I remember um, him so, from Saturday Night Live, yes. I know, exactly. Uh, it's all coming together. It's all <laughs> coming together. Um, so the... Uh, what you know about the Trump era so far is that is to expect the unexpected. So, you know, we have what we think we'll be covering, and then there's probably going to be an entire other thing that we really are covering. So, so that's our that's the new that's the new normal. So. We want to thank Patricia Murphy for joining us on this edition of the politically incorrect podcast here on News Talk Florida. And now coming up this week, Charlie Crist who was the 44th governor of the state of Florida when he was a Republican. Now he is the freshman congressman from Florida's newly minted 13th district, and he's a Democrat. So we're going to hang out with Charlie. He's always a lot of fun, and he always gives us some great insight. So Charlie Chris coming up next week also. 
is Sean Spicer's White House press briefing room as much fun as it looks? Well, the person who can answer that question is none other than, again, a buddy of ours, Gabby Molangello. Gabby is the White House correspondent for the Washington Examiner. She's going to join us next week to talk about how much fun it is at Sean Spicer's White House press briefings. Now, coming up in the month, uh, David Gregory from CNN will come over. New Democratic Party Chairman Tom Perez is going to join us. Comedian, actor, and friend of the podcast, Jay Moore. All in the month of March and early April. Now remember, besides listening to us right here on News Talk Florida, you can get this podcast at iTunes, at the Google Play Store, or by clicking on the Blog Talk Radio icon, and it will be mailed right to you, to your email address, every time we do a new one. Many thanks again. To Patricia Murphy, writer for the Daily News and Roll Call. You can follow her on Twitter at 1PatriciaMurphy. That's the number 1PatriciaMurphy. So follow her on Twitter. You'll enjoy it. Follow me on Twitter at NTFLA underscore politics. That's NTFLA underscore politics. I'm Jim Williams, your host for the Politically Incorrect podcast. I hope that you have a wonderful weekend. <laughs>